I think one of the best moments of our marriage was seeing him walking through the airport doors with our two little boys and knowing that, um, you know, he would often say, like, you know, as he waited for the two doors of the chapel to open for our wedding, like waiting for those international custom doors to open, it was like, you know, walking to a whole new life. And so seeing those doors open and him walking through with our boys and a whole new chapter of our life will always be a high. What made y'all choose Africa to adopt your boys from? Um, I think early on, kind of in college, Lisa had an opportunity to go on her first kind of international mission trip uh, to Ghana, West Africa, and just fell in love with the culture and the people. And she would, I mean, after that first one, I think she went on two more really quick mission trips and She's like, Reed, you've got to come with me sometime. And so we had the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Ghana together. And just kind of the same experiences. Um, I realized just very quickly how faith really brings people together of all cultures and nations. And uh, we just saw the need. I think, like Lisa had mentioned, in our plan, it was to have biological kids and then also adopt I'm from Africa, and so just knowing the need of of the orphans there, and just you know, we just kind of had a desire to show the world a different view of family, um, and just spark conversations. And what better to do that than to look different than all of your family members? And so we often say that our family leads to questions, and those questions ultimately lead to Jesus and us getting to share our story and what God has done. Reed, during our previous conversations, you mentioned the importance of building a supportive community for your children as they navigate their identity as black boys. Can you share with us if your children have had the opportunity to lean on that community yet? I don't think they truly have that forethought yet to think that, okay, mom and dad can't answer our questions yet. Just because most of the questions they've had, like we have been able to. but especially like one of my really good friends, Malcolm, is just somebody that I always try to like point them to of like, hey, or, you know, just things like, oh, look, like Uncle Malcolm's hair looks like y'all's right now, or just pointing them to like strong black men or, or women even that, you know, they can connect with. And so um, I don't think we've really had to like, I don't think they've really connected like, oh, I need to ask them this. But even in conversations with um, some other friends and someone that they knew had been called the N-word. And so it was them reaching out to us just saying like, hey, like someday that's likely going to happen for your boys and y'all call us when it does. And so, again, just having those people around you that that reach out and that love you well enough to say, hey, we're here for you um, when y'all need us and yeah, just kind of trying to steward those relationships well. and Build them now so when those harder conversations do come, they feel comfortable with the people that are surrounding them. Yeah, and they know that they can ask mm. and, and that we won't <laughs> try and answer in a way that we're not equipped to, but we'll say, look, like, let's get in the car and let's go. And, mm-hmm. so. and have y'all had to reach out to get understanding from that, that same community? Yeah, I think both in the adoption community and just life in general. Um, I think reaching out, like for me especially, it was like, you know, their hair care, like wanting the best products, not wanting to just get online and guess where, but just say, hey, like, 
I know everybody's hair is different. I know everybody's skin's different, but what has worked for you? Like, can you buy some stuff for me and I'm going to give it a shot? And so Malcolm make us like this huge basket of everything to try. And, and just talking to Trey at the barber shop and asking him questions of like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with when after they swim, like, how do I get this back to the way it was? And so I think for now it's been like more appearance and stuff. But yeah. I think, you know, as we get into middle school, it'll be obviously more in-depth conversations. But I think we also as white parents feel that like they went to get their they were at going to the barber shop and they had just finished soccer. So they took their shin guards off and they're out the door and we're like, lotion. Like we cannot let you in public looking. But they were they're sitting in the barber shop with just like these huge and white patches. I was just like, oh no. Yeah. So I think it's just constantly that pressure of like, you know, we can't run out the door with our kids looking, you know, like they just woke up and was like just feeling that pressure of like their hair needs to be done, their skin needs to be done, you know. But do you think you still would have those same feelings if it was your biological kids? Like, just like a white kid versus you not wanting to be the white parent to two nappy kids? Right. Yeah. No, I think for me, I, you know, like, hey, let's go to, I mean, I wouldn't let them wouldn't look. Let bio kids look like nappy headed. But wouldn't we go to the grocery store without their hair brushed or, yeah. But I think, yeah. you know, we want we want them, you know, to be proud as well. But then we've also had honest conversations with them of like, look, like these are people's perceptions are going to be, are we capable or are we doing a good job taking care of you? And you may feel like we are, but if you walk out of here and you and we ask you to lotion and you don't, or I didn't do your hair, I mean, I asked you to and you don't, then it is a reflection on us as parents regardless. And so people are going to look, they're going to draw, we're going to draw attention to ourselves more than an, another family that looks like each other. And so, yeah, I don't, to answer your question, no, I don't think by any means we would be as concerned with it, but it's, we want to do our part and taking care of them and making them look good and look like we've made an effort to like, hey, we realize that your hair is different than ours and we've tried our best to educate ourselves. We try our best to buy the right products and take care of you and, and make you the most presentable as possible. It's just so funny though, because like, you know, I was all excited, like, oh, the boys are gonna love going to the barber shop and, but they're just such kids. Like they go there like, this is taking forever and all this stuff. <laughs> I just like the end of the day. Uh, I know, day. like they're gonna they're gonna remember, you know, and hopefully appreciate. Like, uh, dad taking us there, even listening to us complain. But yeah, I mean, they would walk out of here having not showered, lotion, done their hair for a month, and so part of it's just parenting in general. But we do have those open, honest conversations of like, look, like you have to hydrate your skin differently. And it's our job to make sure that you're doing that or we're doing that. And it's just a non-negotiable. Like you're not walking out of here being a bad reflection of how we care for you. Like it's just not gonna happen. <laughs> how was the adoption process with them not being able to speak English? <laughs> like charades. <laughs> uh, I, I would go back. I would go back today though. Um, just to those moments. Yeah, we now it was the funnest, most amazing time ever 
But I mean, we don't have biological kiddos. So for me, I think it would be like having a one and a half, two year old where you're trying to figure out what they're saying and, you know, charades and. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. So for a while, I would like pick out their clothes and I'd be like, you want to wear this or this? And um, Frank, after a while, he started saying, Mama, Mama, say this, 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 this. Like he, they would start like mimicking like what we would always do. And yeah, when it was the sweetest time. That was cool. Yeah. It was also heartbreaking, you know, seeing them lose their native language, just because Karundi is, is one that is like not in Google Translate. It's not one of those like Swahili where it's spoken in multiple places. And so it was just literally, there was zero way for them to hold on to it. And so, you know, it's, and they learned so quickly. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of hard just watching them and like realizing like, oh man, like now they don't remember any of it. And so just trying to just think of other ways to like, keep cultural things you know through music you know even if they don't understand the words like you can look up brandy music on youtube or different things and we have the brandy flag in the room and pictures of brandy and so just trying to you know keep that at the forefront of their mind because um, we never want them to feel like we're pushing their past or their culture or their history into the background we want them to be pr- proud burundian mm-hmm. americans um, and always remember where they came from Lisa, how do you plan to support your children when they want to visit their birthplace? And how do you feel about not being able to uh, go with them on those trips? Yeah, um, I think it'll be hard. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. You know, I felt like when Reed first went to go get the boys from Burundi, that was heartbreaking because it was like, you're having this child and you're not in the delivery. Like you're not there, you know, I already don't get to have, you know, that intimate moment with him. And then I don't get to be there. Um, but I do, I think, especially our oldest Frank, I think probably by the time he's 12, 13, um, so really four years, you know, I think that he's going to want to go back. I think he's going to be our one that really needs to go and see where he's from and all of that. And so, I'm already kind of preparing myself. Like it's heartbreaking and shattering that I'll never get to experience that with them. Yeah, it's, it's hard, but I'm so thankful that at least, you know, Reed can be there and to experience those moments, but it's really heartbreaking because, you know, I've been to Africa five times, but never been to Burundi, you know, never been to their country. And so, yeah, for even for me to feel like I'm missing that is pretty heart shattering. As parents, what wisdom or life lessons do you hope to impart to your children as they grow up and maybe they watch this video? I would say just wisdom for our boys and seeing this is, um, you know, I didn't grow up with my parents being married or seeing an example of what a godly husband looks like because my parents were divorced. And so seeing him and the way that he treats me, I just always pray that our boys are watching, that they are seeing when, you know, when daddy walks through the door, it's, you know, going to see mom and giving her a kiss first and um, the way he just serves me endlessly as a godly husband. And so I just pray that through the years, you know, just those small things that they're tucking away to see what a, a godly husband looks like. And I hope, too, that they see in me, you know, like a way 
that a godly wife, you know, serves and isn't equal to her husband. I agree with that. I just pray that Blaze and Frank just feel valued and cared for, that they see the love that, that their mama has for them and that, that I have for them, and that, um, you know, hopefully they learn that, you know, we were intentional in putting our family time, um, you know, as top of our list, but also the amount of time and effort that we put into uh, to our marriage. And I know it's something that they'll appreciate later on when we're like, hey, we're having date night, y'all are going here. And they're like, oh, no, you know, they don't have the the forethought to appreciate it now, but I know someday they'll look back and they'll go, okay, like those were the, the, the ways that they were being intentional in their relationship. And so, yeah, it's, it's exciting to think about, um, you know, what our family may grow to and Lord willing, you know, the boys, you know, get married someday and may have kids. And so to see, you know, the ripple effect of organ donation and the legacy that Courtney allowed us to have and, um, you know, adopting two Burundi boys and just bringing that culture into our family and just to see that family is so much more than skin color, so much more than genetics and DNA. And um, it's just about loving the people that you accept and call family. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see our family grow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends, family, and on your social media. Let's spread the love and keep the conversation going. Join us on this journey of love and marriageology. So y'all see what I mean about their heart for one another and just being so intentional? Yeah. Like, I love their story. And especially, you know, there's always going to be a look with white parents adopting black children. And they know this. But the fact that their heart is always in preserving the culture as much as possible, it's always about being educated and really sensitive to their sons and their needs. Like one of the things that I, even to this day that I took away from my conversation with them and like, I still try to employ is them really saying like, they want to honor their kids and the age that they're at and the time that they're at, you know, they're only this age for so long. And so we're used to keeping kids busy and they just didn't want to westernize their children and like throw them into, you know, this world and keeping them busy but they really want to value the time that they have with their children and spend quality time at home playing games and having meals. And and I just love that about them. Like they're just a couple of that, I think at the heart of everything that they do, they're just beautiful models of a Christian. We even had conversations off um, camera that let me know that, and I'm not saying my opinion matters to them at all, but I think as black people, when we see white parents with black kids, African-American, black, whatever, wherever, African kids, there's a part of us that's like, ooh, are they preparing that child for a world that they haven't experienced? Uh, are they setting that kid up for failure? And some of the questions that we ask them let us know like, oh, they get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the questions I think we asked offline was you would ask kind of like casually if Reed thought that a regular school day should be eight hours. And he said, well, yeah, I mean, they don't need eight hours, like in an area that's affluent, like where they're from. No, no, no. The question was, should it be five days? Oh, that's four days. Yeah. No, I think you said a full work. Like, I think you said. I was saying because I was saying, do you think you need to go for five days? Because. The argument was a lot of people were going to these four-day 
school weeks instead of five days. But I think the thing that he recognized was he was saying, you know, in affluent areas, of course not. Like kids just don't need that much time at school. But in an area where parents have to work and they can't get off. And I mean, you really do need that work full work day. Kids need to be at school. Otherwise, they're getting into trouble or, you know, things like that. And so I think he understands. Yeah, he understood. He, he understood those those small details, even asking him, does he recognize like what it looks like when he, it's just him with his two boys? And he tells a story like uh, about how they were like at a swim swimming pool and it was time to go. And it was like he had already gave like the kids like, hey, it's five and five minutes time to go. You know, OK, it's time to go. And they were still like, you know, being kids, like they're not trying to go at all. So, you know, he had to put on this daddy voice. And and he's getting these kids out of the water, and this this lady is looking at him, and it's like, are those your kids? Like, 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 like it's a harsh lifeguard. <laughs> like, so like he understands, like, hey, I'm a white guy yelling at these two black kids to get out of the pool. Like, they they understand now. I'm not gonna say that they fully understand it, but I will say that they've done the work to build a community for their kids. Um, like maybe they don't have the answers. They even talk about like they might not have the answers, but they have people in place that do have the answers. No, it was a it was a amazing conversation to have with them and, and sit down and talk. I wish we would have recorded a lot of the conversation when we were sitting down eating around the table. Like that would have been a good conversation because we even started talking about Black Panther. <laughs> and, and and all of that but yeah no this is a great episode yes if you're to listen to one episode i think this is the this is the one that i feel like hits you it like in the gut yeah pulls at your heartstrings like this one yeah. is one of my top ones for sure for sure if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to share it with your friends family and on your social media let's spread the love and keep the conversation going join us on this journey of love and marriageology